The 1960s produced a lot of memorable music. The Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, Bob Dylan, and others churned out songs that continued to be very popular. In October 1965, the group The Birds released the song Turn, 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 and it burst the biblical book of Ecclesiastes under the consciousness of the world. They took the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3 and sang them straight out until the very end when with the addition of just six words, they made this chapter into an anti-Vietnam ballad. After the line, there is a time for war and a time for peace, the birds out of the words, I swear it's not too late. Well, today on Groundwork, we'll look at that same chapter and what the overall book of Ecclesiastes has to say about the subject of time and our human lives in time. So stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is the final episode of a fairly short three-part series on the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And we've already looked at the overall theme of the book, that life is just finally, it's light, it's transitory, it's a hevel in Hebrew, it's a breath or a puff of air. And we've seen the author, Kohelet in Hebrew, the teacher, he's tried to find meaning and wisdom and in pleasure and in work, but in some ways it all came out empty. He said, you know, people in the long run, we just kind of get forgotten anyway. We also looked at work and the importance of work and how we need to have the right motive when working, not so that we can envy others and try to outdo them or keep up with the Joneses. And also we learned about money. If we use money in the right way and we have the right heart and we don't love money and try to hoard it, we can actually use it to be a blessing to someone else. So vocation is very important with the right motive. And so is uh, generosity. But one of the things that uh, weaves through the book is this sense of time. And obviously for a book, Daryl, it makes sense, a book that is primarily about the fleetingness of life, it makes sense that time, the very concept of time is going to occupy a significant part. And that brings us to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. These are the verses that that musical group, The Birds, turned into a hit song in 1965. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, and a time for war and a time for peace. So here the teacher is saying, look, there's a season and a time for everything. And as we've been saying, Daryl, this is a wisdom book, finally. Ecclesiastes is a part of the wisdom tradition of Scripture. And what that says is the teacher is saying, look, who is the wise person? The wise person is the one who knows what time it is. The wise person not only knows what time it is but they know when to do what at the right time. So they know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and the right way to do it. And it's interesting to me because it echoes the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 12, where the sons of Issachar were actually applauded for understanding the times and the seasons and acting accordingly. I think that a wise person is able to distinguish. You're not supposed to be laughing when everybody's crying. You're not supposed to be building up when everybody else is tearing down. You have to know the difference. 
You know, we've looked at the book of Proverbs before here on Groundwork, Daryl. That's the premier book of wisdom that we all think of right away when we hear about wisdom in the Bible. But we noted that a lot of Proverbs technically contradict each other, right? So you get one proverb that says, rebuke a fool firmly mm-hmm. or he will persist in his folly. Okay, fine. Read on another couple chapters and all of a sudden you get a line that says, <laughs> when you encounter a fool, walk away quietly. Because your words will just be wasted on him anyway. So it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a So which is it, uh, Proverbs? Rebuke a fool or walk away? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on the fool. It depends on the situation. It takes wisdom to apply wisdom. And that's sort of what Kohelet, the teacher, is saying here. There's a time and a proper occasion for everything. You just got to figure out which is which and act accordingly. That's the interesting part that I think the teacher is trying to help us understand. You're going to need to be a discerning person to know what time to do what thing. And so what the teacher has been doing is helping us understand that we don't need to place undue value on the things that we achieve and the things that we can do, because that isn't wisdom. That's foolishness to not understand that those things are temporary and they're finite. But we need to understand that having faith and trusting in what God has given us to do That is really where the meaning comes from, especially when God approves of our work. As you read those verses a few minutes ago, and there were eight verses, boy, it really covers the waterfront, right? I mean, it covers just about almost every season or type of situation that you could imagine. But I think, Daryl, the fact that each pair are opposites tells us that, you know, we'd all love it. If life was just one long, ceaseless time for dancing and embracing and drinking and eating and laughing, but that's not so. Half of life, perhaps, as much as half of life, the teacher is saying, might be the things we'd rather not do. Funerals and crying and refraining from embracing, weeping, times to give up. You know, there's sometimes when it's good to keep looking for something and eventually you have to get to a point, sad though it may be, to say, we're done. You can't ignore half of life when you live before the face of God. You're going to have to go into all of life as a person of faith and figure out how to behave and feel in it. Life has positives and negatives. You can't just deny and live in this world that it doesn't exist. Well, you're going to have trials. If you live long enough, old people used to say this. They used to say, if you haven't been through anything, go ahead and just keep living. Because the brokenness of this world it is around us. We cannot avoid it. We can't be like the ostrich and stick our head in the ground and hope it's for the best. I mean, we're going to encounter these things. And the teacher is pulling the wool off of our heads so that we can see that some of these things, they have their their limits. There's time for this and there's a time for that. So we need to be able to discern how to act accordingly in each one of those times. It reminds me of the Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. In the future, uh, Huxley imagined a society that was massively engineered to avoid all suffering, right? Problem was, the people in that Brave New World weren't physically healthy because it turns out, you know what, our bodies need the adrenaline that gets produced when we're afraid or when we're sad. And so in this novel, everybody in the Brave New World has to get a monthly injection of adrenaline so that their bodies keep functioning. And I think it was sort of tongue-in-cheek for Aldous Huxley to say, you think you can live your whole life placid and happy? It ain't healthy. It isn't even human. Physically, you can't take it, and emotionally, you can't take it either. You gotta go through all of it, and we actually wish it weren't so. But just because we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're not shielded from bad stuff sometimes. 
Now we see what you just said in the book of Psalms. I mean, we have laments in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. We have praises in the Psalms, but it all is a part of the human experience. And the teacher is trying to help us understand that. In the next segment, we're going to encounter a marvelous section that we want to unpack for you that we believe is the heart of this book. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, let's get right at uh, what you just hinted at a moment ago at the end of the first segment, a marvelous verse, a mysterious verse in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 10 and verse 11. It goes like this, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity into our hearts. What could that mean? Man, that's a lot to unpack. It could be its own series, to be honest. Mm, The contrast of us being in this finite world and being finite, but we serve an infinite God whom we're made in the image of, who has set eternity into our hearts. is something that we really need to look into. And the fact that we're made in God's image could be a hint because in Genesis, he talks about how we're made in his image in Genesis one twenty six to 28. And so because we serve an eternal God who created us, that could be one way that he set eternity in our hearts. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Even in this uh, same chapter in Ecclesiastes 3, a few verses down, the teacher notes that on many levels, humans and animals are the same. And indeed, on the sixth day of creation in Genesis 1, God creates the animals, and that includes us. The human beings were created on the same day as the rest of the animals. And in one sense, the teacher says in verse 19, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. And physically, I guess he's got a point. (laughs) Elephants die, I die. You die, a giraffe dies. Uh, What's the difference, the teacher says, except that's only on the physical level. And that's where that image of God comes in that you were just talking about, Daryl. Yeah, so as image bearers, we have logic, we have reason, we have understanding, we have consciousness. We actually know right from wrong, morals, we have that. See, animals only have instinct. We have a great distinction because we bear God's image. God thinks, God reasons, God loves, God feels, God grieves. And I think that because we have those characteristics, they're definitely going to separate us from being animals. It's definitely going to be different for us because we are distinctly made in God's image. Somebody once said that an individual human being is greater than all the stars in the heaven because the stars don't even know themselves. But human beings alone can know themselves and others. Right. Right. I love bird watching. 
But birds never watch me, right? Birds don't keep track of different kinds of people they see. But we keep track of different kinds of birds we see because we can study what is not us. And that's a chip off the old divine block. That's part of the image of, of God in us. And that also means, Daryl, we can become aware of God. Right. And so we have a relationship with an eternal God, as you said a moment ago. And that gives us this sense of eternity in our hearts. But why did the teacher say that this is a burden, right? This is a beautiful lyric verse. God set eternity into our hearts. If you just read that part, it's like, wow, that's beautiful, man. But he prefaced it by saying, I've seen the burden God has placed. Why is it a burden? I think it's a burden because it makes this time more meaningful and more important. It also hurts that this time is short. So, okay, we got eternity in our hearts and eventually we will live forever and ever with God. But because of the fall of humanity, we have been cut short. Like life wasn't designed to live this short. 80 years, 90 years, we're done. That is one of the problems that we have the burden to say, okay, it's a short life and we got to make it honor God. But then the bad news is we weren't designed to live this short life. We were designed to live a longer life than this. C.S. Lewis, who we quote often here on Groundwork, he, he once did what he does so well and came up with an almost pitch-perfect analogy. And he said, you know, fish and water don't notice water, right? A fish is totally unaware of water while it's in water. Water is where it swims. It can breathe in the water. It makes little fish in the water. It eats in the water. A fish in water has no awareness of water. Only when a fish gets washed up on a beach does it start to think, uh-oh, something's not right. Where's the water? Now he thinks about water. Well, Lewis said, you know, we seem to be fish out of water as human beings. We live in time, but we lament its passing. We notice time in a way a fish doesn't notice water. The swift passing of time must not be our natural habitat. If we're built to last forever, it took Adam a long time to die, even though the, the curse of humanity was on him because of his disobedience. It's still because God built his body so well, it took a long time for him to pass away. I don't think we were meant to pass away. I think death is an intrusion. Mm. It's a thief and a robber. And if we had the ability to live the way God designed us to live, then we wouldn't have to worry about the burden of the eternity being in our hearts because we would live for that eternity. But because life has been cut short, we often look back. I wake up in the morning. I got sore joints. <laughs> I'm like, where did this come from? When I was younger, it wasn't an issue. I bounced right out of bed. But now the decline is happening. I'm getting older, got more gray hairs. And the eternity piece of of wanting to be with God and wanting to live with God is in my heart, but I know that this life is, is short and I have to make it count. I have to do what God wants me to do. Where did all the years go, right? That is such a common question. I've had, As we are recording this now, my daughter just had her 30th birthday. And it's like, how can that be? She cannot possibly be 30. I don't feel any different, but I'm obviously 30 years older than when she was born in her, and when I was in my 20s. Where do the years go? Again, if we were in our natural element in the swift passing of time, we wouldn't notice it and we sure wouldn't lament it. The fact that we notice it and lament it tells us, yeah, as you were just saying, Dara, we, we were built for something more. And so that sense of that more that moreness, is that a word? That sense that we were built for something more than, than a life that just sort of whizzes on by. For now, that's a divine gift, but it's also a burden. Yeah, it's a burden. And if you don't look at it the right way, it can send you into a, well, you only live once, so you might as well live it up. Um, YOLO. Right? Uh, yeah, YOLO, yes. But if you look 
at it the way God wants you to look at it. I don't think God has given us that burden to torture us or to make us feel bad. I think that it makes us understand that there's something other than us and bigger than us, which is God. And we have a consciousness that can connect to that God. He wants a relationship with us and he's pointing to that. So even though we have the teacher who seems to be cynical and downer, like you said earlier, Debbie Downer. But this is the teacher that's going to tell us the truth. And even though we don't always want to hear the negativity that we think it is, it is sobering. And the teacher will conclude the book this way. And we want to look at the rest of this series and close out this series by thinking about what implications that has for us. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, we are in the final part of the final episode of three episodes on the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's time to get to that last chapter, chapter 12, where we read this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So in his own curmudgingly sort of way, he's actually being pretty positive here by saying, hey, honor God while you're young. Get into the habit of serving God. Get into the habit of making sure that everything you do points to God before all the troubles of life hit you hard. I think that I miss some of the days when I was back in my mother's house when she was taking care of all the bills and everything, the food mm-hmm. on the table. I had none of these responsibilities that I have now as my as I am a husband and father now. Um, I realized what she had gone through to make the provisions for me. And this writer is telling the people to do that while they're young, trust God while they're young, and honor him early. And we were just saying in the last segment that in some ways, Ecclesiastes 3, 10, and 11, where we read that God has said eternity into our hearts is sort of the centerpiece of the book. And you were saying at the end of the previous part of this program, Daryl, you can take that sense of eternal. You can take the frustration we feel at how fast life goes by, and we know it's not—you can do one of two things with that. You can— Go into despair and say, well, you know, you only live once, YOLO, let's just party down because what else is there to do? But you can also take that eternal sense and let it raise your sights higher. Mm -hmm. And that's what the teacher is saying here uh, in chapter 12. You can set your sights higher than just the limited horizons of this life. Know that there is a creator. Remember him in your youth. Remember him all the time, really. Let your vision rise above the fleeting nature of life. Even though in verse 8, what we just read from chapter 12, he goes right back to the very first (laughs) verse of the whole book, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is. But maybe he's winking at us a little bit by now, Darrell. We've come a long ways in this book, and maybe he knows that we know now that doesn't have to be the bottom line. Even though he's saying the same refrains, 
we have a different understanding of what he's trying to teach us now. So even though the refrain is coming back, we can understand that there's a reason for that. There's a method to his madness, if <laughs> you will. But then there's an unexpected twist where the person who's writing talks about the teacher. And this is the first time it's not a direct quote from the teacher, which is really interesting to see. And right here in uh, verse 9 of chapter 12, it says this. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So we said uh, at some point in the series that some people have theorized, though it is never self-identified in Ecclesiastes, that the author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, Kohelet, maybe was King Solomon. Or we were supposed to kind of think of King Solomon because he is described as a king in Jerusalem and a lot of the descriptions fit Solomon's life. And so here the, a, a narrator, a, a heretofore not heard from outside voice, a narrator comes in and as you said, also talks about the teacher in the third person and says, well, I know he's been kind of negative, but you know, I want to put a stamp of approval on this book. The actual conclusion of the book is summed up by the narrator. Now we're going to move to 12 verse 13. Now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So what I don't think it's saying, Scott, is that, okay, we can just paste the happy face on everything that was just said and it's going to be better and we're going to figure it out. I don't think that's what's happening here because, I mean, the truth of the matter is there are some things beyond us. A wise person knows that they don't know enough or they don't know much. Mm-hmm. I always told people this when they asked me, "What did I? how do I know? Or they would say to me, what do you know? And I say, I know a little more than a little bit and a little less than a lot. And that ain't saying much. <laughs> That's what I would say to people, because a wise person knows they can't know everything. This book shows us our limitations. We can't know it all. The wise person knows what he doesn't know, right? The wise guy thinks he knows everything. <laughs> there right? it is. The wise, the wise acre, uh, the wise cracker, uh, as my dad used to call them, they think they know everything. Uh, that's not a mark of wisdom, but of folly. So because we have that eternal sense in us, we sense there is more. There is a creator. So fear God. Keep God's commandments. He gave them to keep you safe. God gave his law, right? We've said that before on Groundwork. It was a gift to Israel. It's like the owner's manual for creation. Follow it. Things work. Ignore it. Things don't. So color inside the lines. uh, Live happily inside the moral boundary fences where God put them. Don't keep moving the fences to make it more convenient for yourself. And if you do this, yeah, sometimes life seems like a grind on a daily basis. There's a lot to discourage us. This whole book's uh, confirmed that. But we can set our sights higher, too. When we set our sights higher, it actually reminds me of the scripture that says to set your hearts and your minds on things above right. where God is, not on earthly things. And so when we have eternity in our hearts, we have the ability to set our mind on things above. And we don't need to just remember the creator in the days of our youth, even though the scripture says that we need to remember him every day of our life. Every day that we have that he has given us is a gift so that we could honor him and we could allow God to have the final say in situations that we don't understand and that we don't know what we should do. He is the one that has all wisdom. We trust him in unknown situations. Everything the teacher said is true. A lot of it's been dark and grim. It's all true, but there's more. The nature of life doesn't have the final word. God does. And speaking of the final word, let's go to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Ecclesiastes, Daryl, is about the darkness, but in the darkness now a light shines, present tense. The light that shines there is the light that we hold on to in situations that appear super dark to us. It's one of the reasons why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible so we can admit that these things are happening, that we have dark and dim situations, Mm. but yet the light shines in that darkness. That light, when things feel bleak, it's still with us. That light, when things feel discouraging or fearful, it's still with us, and we can trust our God in that situation. And that's why he entered our time, and he could redeem us for all eternity. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. We have a website, groundworkonline.com. Go there, visit it, and tell us what Groundwork means to you and make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 